Welcome to This Week in Digital Trust, 11M's regular conversation about all things tech policy, privacy, and cybersecurity. I'm Arj, joining you today from Awabakal country. And I'm Jordan, joining you from Wurundjeri country in Melbourne. And today we're talking about web scraping, Arj. When was the last time you scraped the web? <laughs> it's such a terrible it's sounding such phrase. a terrible I've term, never isn't liked it? Scraping. It. Just, it? Just scraping. It's like fingernails on the chalkboard kind of vibes. I just, I don't like it. <laughs> in prepping for this I've looked at the word too many times and I just like it sound like it sounds weird when I read it in my head as well scrapping scraping and this is a particularly bizarre association but I think someone at one point told me about like their eyeball being scraped or something Ooh. and so I just that's, yeah it's, it's just, not a good word not, not a nice association for anyone listening I'm sorry about that but that it's just it, the whole thing screen scraping it's bad and I'm down with what we're about to talk exactly, about, which, which is everyone saying how bad it is, yeah. Worth noting right at the top, though, there are some really important kind of automated web scraping and web accessibility and stuff mm. tools that do use like basically similar technology to for accessibility or for archiving or for various other things. Web scraping is not like the devil in its entirety, but yeah. uh, in, a, in a privacy context when someone like Clearview AI is collating all of the images of people from various social media sites, that's what we don't like. That's what we don't like. And so we're going to talk about that. But totally, I'm with you because I think even my first introduction to it was almost like a anti-monopoly kind of mm. play, like, you know, screen scraping. You get these big platforms and the big banks who sort of hold all this data and then screen scraping lets these kind of nimble fintechs do, you know, things for, for individuals around their own data that, you know, banks aren't letting them do or the big platforms aren't letting them do. So there's yep. kind of nice associations with it that have nothing to do with eyeballs. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. But yeah, let's take it, let's take it down on the privacy front. So the reason that we are talking about it is because in the last couple of weeks, we had a dozen international data protection and privacy regulators come together and issue a joint statement about data scraping on social media platforms and other sites. And it was, you know, really about raising awareness and talking about the fact that there are privacy risks, even though this data is public, when you scrape this data off social media platforms, um, it's, you know, it, it has privacy risks and it is still subject to data protection and privacy laws. So the, the joint statement talks about the fact that these data protection authorities are seeing incidents of data scraping on the on the rise, particularly, you know, data scraping of personal information. And they stress in this statement the obligations of social media companies and the operators of websites that host publicly accessible personal information to protect that personal information on their platforms from unlawful data scraping. So very, very interesting, I think, to get like, you know, a dozen international regulators together to put together a joint statement. I think that in itself was a bit of a big moment, I thought. It was, right. You know, it says a lot about the international interoperability, I guess, or like like the, the existence of some pretty broad international standards that you can have kind of joint statements like this. And it's a real success, I think, to some extent of global privacy law that we can have these kind of emerging standards that a consortia of regulators can be promoting. I found this statement really interesting because it gets to 
this kind of slightly odd position about like how private is publicly available information and and it asserting privacy rights in publicly available information the position that this statement takes that social media companies need to take steps to protect information that is publicly available on their site is just kind of like there's some cognitive dissonance there or some like it feels a bit funny and it really gets to the point that like our privacy act our privacy laws and global privacy laws don't depend on information being secret right you you can still have a privacy right in a piece of information that everybody is aware of that privacy right might be for it not to be used to develop a facial recognition template for your face it might be that it shouldn't be used to discriminate against you or to be used to disadvantage you so you know when organizations collect data from publicly available sources they still need to at least in australia comply with those privacy laws even if it's publicly available i think that's just a really interesting position and it's often it's often kind of misunderstood about australian privacy law yeah i i, I love it because it's such a it opens up such a sort of nuanced conversation about what privacy is because yeah instinctively we think about what is private is what is secret you know what no one yep. else can see but if it's if i'm willing to put it out there in public then you know i don't get privacy and we we explored this kind of idea in in an earlier episode in episode 46 where we talked about this idea that we still have that right to maintain a sense of privacy over information we put out in public and i think one of the things i guess i think is interesting and gets to is the fact that in some sense like the ease of information flow and acquisition in the internet is is a, is a threat to privacy mm. so even when we put out information in public and there are these public sources of our information the fact that technologies like screen scraping can so easily kind of access all of that and suck it out and pull it together and aggregate it in in ways where it's completely out of the context in which you mm. did make it public is a privacy breach. And then and these are the sort of things we talked about last time was, you know, that people who are academics finding that, you know, when their students Google their name, the first thing they see is the political donations they made because the Huffington Post has this website mm -hmm. where it sucks out donation filing data from the Electoral Commission and, and mm -hmm. puts that on its website. So I think it's, it's really interesting to sort of start to think about when you have these technologies that allow things like screen scraping that the context all break down and so much of privacy, as you've said many times, is about us being able to control what people can see and what, you know, what context, what yeah. faces that we present to people. And you don't get to do that when you can just scrape and pull and combine information and represent it. Yeah, absolutely. Context, control. There's a academic called, I think her name is Julie Cohen, who talks about contextual integrity, which is kind of that idea that you're, mm. you're describing there, right? That like a core part of privacy is for me to be able to present information or present a personality, say in a work context, and that being different to the person I present in my family context. It's different to how I present you know, when I'm out at a party on Saturday night or whatever. And privacy gets interfered with when those contexts aren't respected, when, you know, information from Saturday night gets presented in a work context or vice versa 
that that feels like a privacy violation. But those that information could be known to lots of people, right, in each of those contexts. It's not about secret. It's about maintaining those expectations. So so it's worth just like noting that like I suppose the the privacy laws in Australia and elsewhere really don't depend on secrecy, right? It's a totally different concept. The Privacy Act is focused on kind of giving people a degree of control or a degree of power over what organizations do with their information. Whereas that public-private divide, there, there's a slightly different concept that we've talked about in the Australian context, like a tort of privacy or a right, a, a freestanding right to privacy, which would be independent to what the Privacy Act does. And that as a separate idea does kind of deal a bit more directly with like your right to a private space or the public-private divide. There's some concepts around that tort of, of privacy would protect people from, or it would protect people when they have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And that kind of brings in, you know, if you're in a public square and you're doing something in public, maybe you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy, but if you're in your home, probably you do have a reasonable expectation of privacy. So there's this idea of a like right to privacy, a freestanding right to privacy, a tort of invasion of privacy that would protect that reasonable expectation. But in general, what we're talking about in terms of the Privacy Act and this kind of statement from 12 international data protection regulators applies to a slightly different idea of privacy, which is more about control. Doesn't matter if it was in the public square or not. I get to control the information about me that gets handled by other organizations. There were two kind of themes I took out of the joint statement. One was actually, uh, I felt like it lent heavily on security, mm. which is a slightly different context to kind of control and privacy in the sense that, you know, talking about the obligation of an organization to protect information from unauthorized access. Mm. So there was, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in the joint letter that sort of talks about essentially the language from like APP 11, which is the sort of the security um, privacy principles. And it talks about a whole bunch of kind of security controls and it uses the phrase, you know, data security is a dynamic responsibility. Uh, there's a lot in there about sort of thinking about this almost like as a security challenge that social media platforms need to be thinking about um, to protect the data. But yes, the other thing that comes through very strong essentially is, as you said now, is this idea of control of information and that when, you know, you scrape information off one site, individuals lose control and then it gets kind of aggregated and, and recombined mm. it with, you know, other personal information of theirs and used for unexpected purposes. And that clearly is more, much more about privacy, much more about agency and kind of, you know, your, your ability to sort of have a sense of direction over how your own personal information is used as opposed to just protecting yeah. it or not. Yeah. And it's kind of back to that contextual integrity point, right? And this is going to become a catch cry of mine. The right to have the nice things, but not have the downsides that flow. You know, the, the fact that I share a photo with my family or even with the world on Facebook, to, like I want to be able to do that without giving Clearview AI the right to use that to build a facial recognition database that's used for law enforcement, right? Like I want to have the nice thing, the sharing without 
opening myself up to any or any use of that information by some negative actor. And so that's what this is trying to protect, right? The joint statement is pointing to the negative outcomes that can happen when that data is scraped and used for other purposes, things like cyber attacks, fraud, spam, targeted advertising, uh, use by like intelligence agencies and foreign governments and law enforcement and so on. There's a set of harms that come from using that data for other purposes. You mentioned Clearview AI as well, so training yep. also for training facial recognition algorithms. Training which is facial recognition algorithms. The famous case that early listeners of the podcast will have heard a lot yep. about because I think we, we probably... We haven't you know, first, talked about Clearview for a while, actually. <laughs> for those who are more recent listeners, I think probably every second episode in the first 20 episodes we were talking about yeah, Clearview yeah. AI, which is a, a startup that scraped people's photos essentially and used that to train their facial recognition algorithm, which they then sold on to law enforcement and intelligence agencies. And then subsequently got fined by privacy regulators the world over, right? Probably most of the 12 uh, privacy regulators making this joint statement have <laughs> either fined or directed Clearview AI to delete the data or done both, right? They got a seven and a half million pound fine in the UK. They got a 20 million euro fine from Italy. They got directions from Australia, from France, from a bunch of other countries to delete the data. So, the interesting thing about this statement and the reason why it's actually worth a conversation is that it's not about Clearview AI. The statement is directed at the social media companies for letting Clearview AI scrape the public data, right? The, the statement's putting the accountability quite clearly on social media companies saying, look, if you want to have these like big open social networks, you have a responsibility under privacy laws to prevent that information from being misused in those ways that I described, right? Like for, for facial recognition or cyber attacks, identity fraud, all the rest. And so there's this really clear statement in this joint statement that social media companies and other websites are responsible for protecting individuals' personal information from unlawful data scraping. And they go through, you know, a bit of detail in like the kinds of controls that should be in place as well, you know, monitoring for bots and captures and rate limiting how people access, how often people access a, the site and how many queries they can make per hour and that, that kind of thing. They go through a few of those, but ultimately I think it's an interesting statement in that it's not, it's saying that, you know, we'll, we'll go after the bad actors, sure, but ultimately as the central repository custodian of this data, it's on you, social media companies, to, to make sure that that never even happens. I found it quite fascinating because we mentioned the banking context before with screen scraping, and I remember when, when screen scraping was perceived as a problem in the financial sector, mm. the banks themselves would sort of put pressure on the regulators to introduce kind of restrictions against screen scraping. But, you know, they, the banks were the ones that held the data. So it wasn't an obligation on them to stop, you know, the screen scraping happening in the same, in the way that this is sort of the regulators getting together and saying, hey, social media platforms, you've got the data, you're the custodians of it, do better to stop other parties from scraping it. And it's worth noting, I think, that this letter kind of comes out in this sort of context of 
generative AI and ChatGPT and all the scraping that mm-hmm. scraping of the entire public web that has kind of gone into sort of training GPT um, three and four and and produced these um, produced these chatbots that we're all using. So clearly, there's kind of a, a need to sort of step up and and do something about that. I, I think it's interesting that. Yeah, the um, regulators have decided to sort of put more pressure on the social media platforms in this case. And mm. part of me wonders, you know, is that trying to contend with the, how brazen an open AI is and where they feel like, mm. you know, they can actually have some traction because kind of the, the, the horse has maybe bolted as far as chat GPT goes and they're sort of now saying, well, okay, social media platforms need to be doing better. Doing things like the Clearview AI investigation takes effort for these regulators. You know, like we saw the OAIC kind of yeah. pull resource with, resources with the UK data protection uh, regulators and, and you know, we've seen the other regulators do that. But going after every sort of violator of screen scraping is potentially not something that they have the resources to do, but pushing the obligation yeah. further upstream onto the source is maybe more sustainable as an approach. We've talked about this a bunch in the context of cybersecurity, right? That like playing whack-a-mole with each organization that installs and uses Microsoft Office or Windows from a security point of view is really difficult, right? Like the, the best person to assure that Windows has no vulnerabilities in it is mm-hmm. Microsoft, not all of the little people who like it's the central actor, not the consumers of the service or whatever. And it's more or less the same logic applies here, right? Like you put the responsibility on the the central authority, the central actor who has the control rather than like playing whack-a-mole with all the little startup AI companies or all of the, uh, the ransomware gangs or, you know, crime forums or whatever that are doing the scraping. So I think I think there's a real logic to it in that regard in terms of like putting the responsibility on the central organization. I think timing-wise and strategically it's a really sensible thing to do now because of that AI trend that you just pointed to, right? You're not going to get a lot of pushback, I don't think, from from social media companies that they need to protect their data from scraping because as you observed, they're all realizing just how valuable their data is. There's been a lot of coverage over the last few months of Reddit, for example, increasing the charges or charging for the first time for access to their API to get to the data behind Reddit posts. And it's partly because all of the scraping actually costs them money, right? Like every time someone's downloading all their stuff, they need to pay for server fees and that actually costs them money. But also it's in recognition that all of that data, all of that text is extremely valuable for training AI models. And so they want to put it behind a wall so that they can charge people for it and license it every time they want access to it. And so... I like Reddit's not going to be pushing back on this, I don't think, because they're they're already doing it, right? So it's like strategically, I think it's a pretty sensible demand to be making, or it's a safe demand to be making, right? Because you can you're not going to get a lot of pushback. Yeah, and we've seen um, we've also seen companies change things like terms of services, like the New York Times, for the similar reasons. They're all sort of worried about this new world in which kind of the data that's mm. on their websites or on their platforms is just being kind of hoovered up. Um, so you're right. Like there's a there's a gen- general sentiment of trying to play defense 
to these kind of large yeah. language models yeah. that are trying to train themselves. But um, yeah. I think, I mean, the, the letter has been sent directly as well as being published has been sent directly to all of the social media platforms. And I think they've been given like a month to respond. So yeah. I'm interested yeah. to see how they do respond and if they do respond favorably. I think it's interesting also in just a broader context of, you know, like we've had a few conversations now about like we we, we identify and we recognize a particular risk and we're sort of having a conversation about who should be most responsible for managing that risk, you mm -hmm. know, like what point in mm -hmm. the supply chain does it go? So, you know, you gave the cyber parallel and we're sort of now pushing back on vendors and like so in this case – because it's a personal information and there's a liability associated, like a regulatory liability associated with protecting it. It's like, who who should? And the social media platforms are mm. probably like, well, let me guess, it's us again. You know, because like yeah, so yeah. we're doing, we're having a similar conversation even in the AI context where you've got like Google yeah, exactly. and Microsoft saying, go, don't look at us, go, go towards the people that are using these. AI systems mm. and whatever outcomes they get from using it, that's where you regulate, push away from us. And, you know, so it, it's part of that, yeah. broad, I think, a broad of a conversation about like, you know, where does the risk get pushed to? I mean, who makes the money? Who holds yeah. the power? <laughs> I think like there's a, for this one anyway, I think there's a pretty clear answer, which gets us to actually the last section of that joint statement, which is... Uh, the least satisfactory part of it for my, like I'm super on board for those, that first section about putting the um, responsibility on social media, but the, the statement also has at the end, some kind of recommendations for individuals, which just like every time is so common in our field and just irritates me every time. Cause I mean, some of the recommendations in this statement for individuals are read the privacy policy before engaging with social media companies to understand how they might share your information and think about the amount and kinds of information that you share. Think long-term, maybe sharing this photo today will, you know, present a risk to me 10 years down the road. And I'm sorry, but no, <laughs> like, I, first of all, it's completely unrealistic. And second, the whole point, as we were talking about with all this contextual integrity stuff, the whole point of privacy law is so that I don't have to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be protected from harmful misuses of my information. And I want to be able to share the things that I love with my friends, my family, the online communities I am a part of without worrying how it's going to be misused against me. And it's the responsibility of these, you know, 12 folks who signed this letter to like make sure that that happens. Don't put it back on me to read privacy policies. It's not even just the whole point of privacy law. It's the whole, like the whole point of these platforms is that I go in and engage with them in a particular context. And so I yep. share information in that context. I don't want to think about all the other contexts of my life. And, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's, I mean, at some level, I get it. Like, I, I think, you know, it's yeah. reasonable to say people should be aware of, you know, risks, information risks. And, you know, um, we do this in cybersecurity. We say, you know, businesses need to protect, you know, the information and they're obligated to and we'll kind of develop, you know, expectations for them. But, you know, you as individuals should know how to protect your personal information and don't click on phishing and have a good password. And so we play both games at once. I get that. But... 
Yeah. Ultimately, these things come out in a way that's just not practical. And it's exactly yeah. like you said, like to, in order, you know, to get someone to think so long term and say, well, if I post this information on this website today, I need to think about how it might be used 10 years later in a completely different mm. context because of technologies that, you know, do things that I probably can't even conceive of. Like the idea that, you know, I should be even thinking about screen scraping, like the average person should be thinking about screen scraping or APIs or just, just for that information to leave the context in which I've provided it only to turn up in another context. It's, it's just, it's, mm. it's just impractical to, for people to think that way. Yeah. These particular social media companies, their websites won't talk about unauthorized screen scraping, right? Like their privacy policies won't deal with this risk. They'll say that it's not allowed or they won't mention it at all. So yeah, I don't know. I'd have more sympathy for this. And I suppose like politically you can't say this, but like I would have liked this this statement to say, look, message to individuals, we're working on it. <laughs> you know, privacy laws aren't great. Like, like we're working on it. They're not perfect. We don't have infinite resources. We're chasing these people down. We're working on it. We know it's unsatisfactory, but in the meantime, here are some protections that are probably unrealistic, but like, you know, here's how you can take control. And we know that's unsatisfactory and we're sorry, <laughs> but we're doing our best. You know, that's, that's the tone I would have liked them to strike yeah. rather than you can take control of your information by reading all the privacy policies. This is the sort of us reaping kind of what we've, what we sowed from like old attitudes to data being, you know, let's say oil <laughs> to use a, a familiar yeah. phrase yeah. where it's a resource and, if it's a resource, then, you know, like it stands, it stands to, to be expected that, you know, people are going to, you know, seek it out wherever it is. They're going to, you know, buy it. They're going to trade it, but they're also going to extract it and scrape it and like pluck it out from wherever they can find it because it's a resource. And we've talked about data in those terms for so long. If we can talk about it more in terms of, you know, it, it means something to people, it's implicitly connected to somebody and how they want it to be used and, you know, th th there's a context for data and, you know, in, in a much more sort of complicated way than just, look, this is a unit of value that you can just get your hands on. I mean, that's what leads us to screen scraping. It's the original sin of the internet that we were yeah. talking about two weeks ago as well, right, is that it's like built around collecting and monetizing data and you know that leads to certain design choices and we need to roll it back um it's also the i mean i'm guilty of this in this podcast i was talking about privacy as control right as like a right to control over your data and like that has its part to play yeah. but it should also be a safety question right a right to not be harmed by the information you choose you choose to share or a right to expect companies to protect it and to deal with it responsibly without you having to supervise or police that so in conclusion good statement good movement good direction putting the responsibility on the on the social media companies but yeah, lost a bit of momentum right at the end there with, um, with the individual response steps for individuals to take. Yeah. I think I read that there's no sort of promise of additional enforcement or any kind of real sort of stick associated with yep. this letter. Yep. It's a yep. maybe a nice kind of 
shift in sentiment, um, but, mm. you know, the, the remains to be seen whether anyone's going to be shaking in their boots around this. So Yeah, look, I, yeah, I, I, wonder, I wonder if there will be any kind of forthcoming enforcement. I think it would make a lot of sense coming after the Clearview AI investigations. If I was a privacy commissioner, I would be looking very seriously at following this up with some kind of exemplary investigations for like, hey, where did Clearview get this data? You know, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever it is, if Clearview can trivially build a scraper and a service based on this, are you adequately protecting your data from misuse? I think that would be a very sensible follow-up. We'll keep an eye out. I think that's us for this week. Indeed. We'll keep an eye out. Keep an eye on those social media companies, yeah. <laughs> that's what we're here for. All right. <laughs> Good chat, Archul. Catch you next week. Bye.